When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Hi, and thanks for listening to The Family Brain. I'm your host, Megan Gibson, and this is my 100th episode of The Family Brain Podcast. Cue the band. And I've been thinking about how I wanted to celebrate 100 episodes and thinking back about all the people I've spoken to over the past few years. And I thought a good way to celebrate for me, and I hope for you, is by listening to a conversation I recently had with Megan Judge on her podcast called Judging Megan. She had me on as a guest, which I'm not usually on the other side of the questions, but I thought it might help shed some light on why I started doing the podcast and what in my life helped motivate me to share information and stories with people through podcasting. Um, I lost my friend five years ago tomorrow, and it changed me in ways I think I had trouble articulating maybe up until just recently. So I was really thankful for the opportunity to talk about that experience with Megan on her show. Yes, we're both named Megan and our parents know each other. We're friends from high school and a lot of you probably know both of us. Um, But I just felt like it was a really cathartic process talking with her and I thought it might add some light on why I continue to do this podcast. And really, ultimately, it's to help people not feel so alone in some of the things they go through and some of the things they struggle with. I think that's one of the hardest things about any difficult time is feeling like you're the only one that this has ever happened to and that something's wrong with you because this is happening to you. And really what I'm trying to do with these different guests and with these different messages is to help remind everyone that you're not alone and that there is help and that there are resources. So I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. And I want to thank Megan Judge for allowing me to share our conversation here. You can hear more of her episodes talking to people about different traumatic experiences on her podcast called Judging Megan. Thanks so much.
I'm actually a little bit nervous. I don't know why, but I think it's because Megan is also a podcaster and uh, she actually also has a podcast on Game Day Media with John, our producer is on with us today. Thanks, John, for joining. Um, He was stuck in the Austin horrible snowstorm the last time, so I had to do it by myself. So it was very nice to have him on again today helping. Uh, But Megan uh, has a podcast um, called The Family Brain. So we are both podcasters and uh, Megan actually introduced me to John and that's how this whole journey started that I decided to become a podcaster. And uh, so I just wanted to say again, welcome. Thanks for doing it. If it makes you feel any better, I'm a little nervous too. And I don't usually get nervous recording my podcast, but I think it's because I usually am asking the questions. I'm not usually on the other side. So it's a new experience for me too. Yeah. It's a little bit interesting. Cause you, I mean, when you're doing it, you're like, Oh, I know like in your look, we're looking at each other. So it's just, it's also great to see you look really pretty. I'm not wearing makeup <laughs> if my, my goggles on my big giant glasses. Uh, so, uh, just always happy to see you and talk to you. Um, anyways, so I just wanted to kind of start with how we know each other, which is what I always kind of start with when I have guests on. Uh, Megan and I met in high school. We both went to a high school called Georgetown Visitation in Washington, D.C. And our dads knew each other because D.C. is a very, even though it's, you know, Potomac, Maryland is where I grew up that whole Washington metropolitan area uh, in the Irish Catholic community, everybody knows everybody because they, most people grew up there and then it's a generational thing. So um, it's kind of cool that we've known each other this long. And I brought her on today because Megan is actually a therapist, but she is going to be sharing her story of the trauma that she actually went through. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty heavy story. I I always like to say that before I start, but it's kind of connected to my last podcast as well, having to do with uh, domestic violence, which is a topic that I, I feel very strongly about. Um, In my own life, I kind of went through some things with my stepfather and he was definitely mentally abusive. And I just think it's a really important topic for me to talk to because it's touched my own life. And obviously it's touched my guest Megan's life. So thank you, Megan, for coming on. And where should we begin? Why don't you tell me about where um, you're from and like a little bit about your podcast and what you do as a therapist and, and we'll go from there. Okay. So I live in Austin, Texas now, and um, I have been a therapist probably on and off for about 20 years. No, probably 15, 15 years. Um, I'm not that good with timeframes. Um, and I started the podcast about five years ago and it actually, the podcast was started right around the same time as I was dealing with the loss we're going to talk about today. Um, and it was a really helpful outlet for me because at that time I didn't really feel like I was strong enough to be a therapist to someone else. So it was sort of an outlet for me to continue to, um, learn about mental health topics, talk to people about things without having to be the therapist person in the room. Um, 
So that's been, I'm about to record my 100th episode. That's amazing. I'm only on 11. So that's really amazing. Well, I was also only on 11 at a certain point and it's, it's, it's fun to look back and just sort of see how I've changed over time and the podcast has changed and just what I've learned from the guests. I mean, that's, what's such a gift is that, you know, you get to listen to these podcasts and I want to share it with others, but I learn so much every time I talk to someone. So, um, it's been really fun to be a part of. Um, let me ask you, why did you decide to become a therapist? You know, it's so interesting. So in preparing to talk with you today, I was just sort of thinking about what we would talk about. And that's actually part of my story, I think, is just what I've learned in terms of being a therapist through dealing with something myself. So I took um, psychology classes in college and I just really loved the information. I think it helped me think about myself like, oh, okay, like what motivates people? What, what keeps people down? What helps people? You know, it just was interesting to me to learn more about that. Um, and as time progressed, I wanted to be able to help people. Um, but I think that I originally started thinking I could sort of learn the things on how to be human, you know, and, and kind of master them, which sounds crazy. Like I know that in my rational mind, I don't think I'm going to master like being a human, but, um, I think when I was younger, I did think if I studied and I read all the books and I kind of learned the things, then I would know the things and I would be able to sort of manage life better. So initially I think I kind of came at it in a type a kind of way. (laughs) I'm not the yeah. typical, like, I just feel things kind of therapist. It was kind of like my own desire to be like master of the universe. No, I asked that question because we're going to just want to, we'll go into your story, but, um, I like to get the perspective about why anybody really goes into therapy because I just feel like mental health is obviously such a topic that I obviously like to discuss, And, um, I'm interested to know why you initially went into it, but why don't we talk about why you're here and kind of the story about, you know, being a therapist actually really changed your life and not necessarily for the better at first, but obviously everything happens for a reason. And, you know, you've learned so many things from what happened. So why don't you kind of tell my audience and me what happened to you? So, um, and I am going to keep the names kind of out of the story, just, just to protect the families involved and the kids. Um, but basically my friend, my next door neighbor, um, I'm going to kind of shorten it up and then we can talk more, but, um, my friend and neighbor, smart, professional, funny, hilarious woman, um, got a divorce, started dating someone new that she had met online and quickly sort of fell into this very romantic. One of those, it almost seems too good to be true. Everything was right. And every always said the right thing, did the right thing, felt the right thing. And things moved very, very quickly. Um, And I was always, she, we were kind of one of those, like we had keys to each other's houses. If I ran out of wine, I'd kind of walk over and just grab some out of the fridge. Like we were very 
loose back and forth. And then once she started dating this person, it started, started to be a little bit more separate, um, which made sense to me, but then it started to be like, well, what's, what are you doing? What's going on? You know? And it just, and I wanted to give them in retrospect, I think I was ticked because you want to hang out more with your friend, but I also wanted to give their relationship the space that it needed, you know, early relationships, you get so into each other. Um, and how long were you neighbors? How long were we neighbors? I'm so bad. Before this this event took place. I want to say three, four years. So, but she was like, I think once she got a divorce, um, you know, I kind of became her backup person. Like I would help her with her kids sometimes, or, you know, she worked full time and I didn't. Um, so it sort of became a close relationship quickly. Um, and I don't remember, I don't know. I'm, I'm, but three to the reason I asked that is three to four years is like, that's quite a bit of time. You know? yes. Yeah. We knew each other for a while. We were in a Bible study group together, which I had never really done before. She was like a very faithful person. And so I was kind of learning about, you know, reading the Bible with her. So we did a lot of more like sort of, you know, intimate kind of friend things. It wasn't just a like, Hey neighbor, you know, like we kind of knew each other on a deeper level. Um, so anyway, th- there started to be a, a pull, I would say between us only because I, you know, she was busy with this relationship, but I, I will say that there were sort of questions like this, you know, just, but you want to respect the space. Um, fast forward, she, I want to say this was within the span of a year. I don't really have all the dates in my mind, but that they got, got married. Um, and, Shortly after that, she came over and told me that she was like nervous about his temper. So it was pretty vague. This was like on a Wednesday. Then the next day she tells me that he had threatened her. Like it was a more serious thing. And I had talked to her about um, getting her locks changed because she was basically telling him like, we're, we're not going to, he still had a, a his own separate house. It was like all this weird stuff. Like he lived there, but like he had his own place. And anyway, so she had told him that they were going to, she was going to stop seeing him. And, um, did he I, threaten her physically? I hate to interrupt, but I wanted yes, to know. Yes. Okay. And I think, um, just, just kind of try, I don't remember exactly, but I know that it was sort of, if you don't do what I want you to do or stay with me, like, it's not going to be good you know, and he did have weapons. Um, and what kind of weapons guns. Okay. So he had like, he kept guns in the house. Yes. Okay. And it's Texas. And honestly, in Texas, that's not super abnormal. Okay. Um, but it's just a factor like what anyway. Um, and so I kind of was helping her put the locks on. And the reason I say that is because that was a piece that I had a lot of guilt about later, like that maybe I advised incorrectly. Um, she, sorry. It's like, it's hard to tell. Like it's, it's all I know. so strange. This is what's so strange about trauma is I feel mm-hmm. like it gets held in a messy part of your brain. Like it's like, 
it's kind of just like files all over the floor. Like it's not, and actually somebody told me that, 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 that is why traumatic events, they're hard to recall sometimes because the stress of when you're going through the experience makes it so that it doesn't get filed very well. So like time and space can kind of be mushy. Um, but it's interesting you say that too, because I, in my last podcast, exact same thing. And then when I think of my own stories and my own trauma, or I talk to other people, most people, most of my guests I've had so far on same thing. It's Mm -hmm. like, you kind of put these things away and you push them down and you don't want to remember these things. Right. So that's very, and and I'm not a therapist, but that's what I've experienced so far in my own life. And with the people I've spoken to about trauma, that's very typical. Yeah. And I think you'll, the more and more you'll talk to people, you'll start to see those threads of what kind of ties into the stories. Each story is different, but there's going to be some of those nuggets. And I wonder if it's just a protective thing. Like it stays kind of fuzzy in your brain. Cause if it was super clear, like, Oh, don't you think too, though, that we're like, that's how human beings protect themselves. Like, it's kind of like when somebody dies, you like you're you go through all the stages of grief and you have to process it but then you kind of forget what it's like that you went through it because mm-hmm. you have to just move on and kind of push it down yes. so i think when you tell the story this is these are memories you don't want to think about right so it makes sense it's painful it's, to talk yes, about this and it's confusing and it's interesting cuz it's almost like it just happened, but like, it also never happened. <laughs> so how, how long ago did this happen? This was, I had to look it up, but it's five years, um, March 11th. It'll be five years. Wow. Um, okay. Okay. So, so, so I, you I changed, so you changed the locks. No, it's totally the locks got changed. I ended up, yeah. Helping her with that. She, um, was at work and I helped get them changed while the kids were at school, whatever. Um, and I had told her that I would keep my phone, like in case she needed me, like call me. And, um, so I'd kept it with me all night. And then the next morning I was getting ready to go somewhere with my kids. And so I was like in the kitchen and I had left my phone in the bathroom and I just didn't hear it. And, um, he had gotten to the house, the locks were changed he went around to the back door, like the, like a glass door and just threw his body through the glass door. And she had run into her bedroom, locked the doors, ran into her closet, was like trying to barricade herself as much as possible. Um, and she had called me. So, and, and I had missed the call and my husband had left to go somewhere and saw the man's car at her house and had my husband came back and said, is his car supposed to be there? And I said, no. And I freaked out and I was like, oh my God, where's my phone? Look down, see that she had called like three times. Then I start calling her. And, um, and it's interesting. I noticed I like, I talk faster in this part because I think that's how I felt in my body. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's all of a sudden you start to, um, and so I kept calling her, she wasn't answering. And I said, if you don't call me back right away, I'm going to call the police. And so then I called the police because she didn't call me back and I walk out of the house and I was planning on going over like I could do something. And thank God you didn't go over. And I was walking over and as I walk over, there's police running in with their guns drawn into the house. 
um, they're running towards the house. And I just said, be careful. He's dangerous. And then I felt stupid with that because I felt like, oh my God, why am I distracting the police officer? Like, what if in that moment, like I should have just kept my mouth shut, but anyway. Um, and then later I found out because I was friends with her mom later, I found out that she had called her mom and her mom did go over. And so her mom was in there. He had already shot my friend and she was on the floor of the closet And, um, he told my friend's mom that, um, he had killed her and now he had to kill the mom and she raised her hands and started to pray. And he turned the gun and shot on himself and shot himself. So it was just like, I mean, in it, when I say this to you, it all, again, it's, it feels like, did that, is this even true? Or am I like a just making this, I mean, I know, I know it is true, but it just, it sounds so outside of what we think of as typical. And I think that was the biggest thing for me is just understanding that there are things that happen that are outside of the typical, like there are people functioning on like, Oh, I don't care that the lock has changed. And I just didn't know that. I didn't know how dangerous people could be, you know? So it sort of changed my mind in that in that respect. I, I am so like, I'm sorry. I'm like crying. No, it's okay. It's so incredibly sad to hear that story. Um, and I can't imagine the amount of pain, like, and, and trauma that that caused you and the amount of guilt, like you're even talking like to this day, five years later about, well, I could have like, it's my, like I helped change the locks or, I didn't answer my phone or, you know, all of those things you obviously know are not your fault, but as human beings, I think we tend to like hold on to things and think like, oh, I could have been there. I could have done this. I could have done that. Well, when in all reality, I'm sure you, she loved you like so deeply and trusted you and you really did help her, but the issue is, is these people, I call them dirty Johns, by the way, if you've ever watched that movie, um, it was on, it was I a whole, it, like pathologically because it, it helped yeah, me, it like, is, almost like, Oh yeah. This is what happened to me, you know, or happened to her, but happened that I saw. Yeah. And, and honestly, yeah, it was like, it's like a soapy kind of mini series. But when I watched that, like, not to bring my own story in, but my stepfather is a dirty John, like was, he's passed away as of like a few years ago, but he had that, what this man that you're talking about, this evil anger. And it's something that just like you, I feel like I, until I met my stepfather, didn't realize that people really were like that. But now I know that they really are. There's very bad people on this planet. There's also really amazing, great people on this planet as well. But when you tell the story, I can't help but be able to relate and understand what you went through and the amount, the amount of like guilt that you probably felt is horrible. And I am so, so, so sorry that you lost your friend, you know, and then she went that way. Um, I will say she she was an organ donor. 
which okay so mom is on a mission now to talk i just put that in there you know so that her lungs actually live on in someone else to this day and have given someone else like the ability to do things and be out in the world and live a life they wouldn't have been able to live so i think that's part of her legacy don't you think too that that's like you know in everything that's that is bad that happens in life there's always got to be something good that comes out of it i mean she, she obviously died very young and she had kids i'm assuming yeah she has two yeah. awesome kids and um her ex-husband is a great dad and has been taking fantastic care of the kids and her mom helps with the kids and um i mean and they this is part of their story and they're going to be stronger in certain ways because of it. Um, but yeah, it changes you. And I think that's the part. So going back to talking about like becoming a therapist, I think I had this very like academic intellectual kind of like, I will study the humans. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I mean, clearly I have always been one of the humans, but I think until this incident, I didn't understand so much. And there's things that you just can't understand until you go through something like this. Um, and I think I say, I say that all the time. I hate to interrupt you, but you know, Dr. Nay is my therapist. I talk about her usually every episode and I mean, look at, I mean, if you've listened to my episode, she was married to the real wolf of wall street. She's actually going to be reoccurring on the podcast. She'll be on the next podcast. And she talks about, her story of, you know, abuse and all the things that she went through. And I think like you're saying that makes you a better therapist. I'm not saying there aren't therapists out there that have like never experienced trauma and are not good therapists, but I think it makes you as more, a lot of times, don't you think that therapists are very like, if they can't relate, it's more of like writing notes on a piece of paper and it probably changed you now. And for the better that you in your own life as a human and also as a therapist can relate, like you're saying. Right. Well, and I think, yes. And I think that after the, after the trauma, the trauma, I was just kind of like a body walking around. Like I was just in such shock for a good chunk of time. I think it also helps me have more compassion for people in general. Like I don't know what this person is dealing with right now and why they might be checked out in a certain way or not following, you know, like not calling me or not, you know, it's just, and my kids had a really hard time afterwards because I think mom had left the building. Like I might, I was there in body, but I just, I mean, at one point, so this is my warning to anyone who goes into a traumatic, has a traumatic event is to just be really careful with yourself because your brain is processing so much that those like normal behaviors that like just everyday functioning can be compromised. And so at one point I, um, we were building a new house and I pulled my car. This was right after it happened, pull my car into the driveway. Didn't put it in park a giant suburban and it started to roll away. And I tried to stop it with my arms, like behind it. Like I was going to stop the car, but just my brain wasn't online. 
you know, and I can look back at that and see that so clearly. So I think that for anyone going through a traumatic event or has recently been through, you just have to really take everything slow and be kind of gentle with yourself because I think I just kind of wanted to like, okay, Megan, snap out of it. Everybody was telling me to go see a therapist. And I was like, I don't need a therapist. I, I really was against therapy. <laughs> like Megan, I- it's so interesting you say that because it's um it's it's like a doctor going, well, you're a therapist, you are mm-hmm. a doctor, but going like a medical doctor, knowing that they they're they know that they may have cancer, but they don't want to go to the doctor to get the diagnosis. Right. So you were probably like, I'm a therapist. I know exactly what I'm going through. It's this stage, this stage and this stage. Yes. But so you're like thinking all of those things in your head, but you didn't think you needed to go, which is so interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think I enjoyed the role of helper. I did not enjoy the role of helpy, you know? And so that was, it was very humbling. Eventually I did go to a therapist and I think everyone was around me was like, thank God, you know, because how, it, how long did that take you to actually go to a therapist? Probably f- two or three months, not oh, okay. too long. And I mean, the nice part with being a therapist, I had, I had sort of good, I knew therapists and I knew somebody who knew, you know, so I sort of mm-hmm. knew where to go, which made it easier. Um, but I didn't like being on the other side. And I think that was a challenge for me just to sort of, and I continue to go to therapy now because I realize what a gift. It's such a great, you know, you don't have to be in major trauma to go to see a therapist, but um, yeah, it is. It's interesting. I think that it's, it was very humbling. And I think looking back now, I see that that there's so much more to learn, first of all, from other people and from, and that it's, it feels good. We all need help at some point, you know, it, it, there's always all the helpers need help too. Um, and it was, it was really freeing. I think once I got in there and just sort of started to process it, a lot of it is just giving like language to all the things that are going inside your mind. Like what we were talking about before about like the filing cabinet, just being a mess in there. It's almost like a professional organizer for your brain where you just like, it just needs to kind of be tidied up and put into language so that it's not just living in your brain. How did you process the grief? Like, did you, but like before therapy or during, like, did you throw yourself into like being busy did you throw yourself into like drinking alcohol? Did you like, what were the ways to try and escape? Like, how did you deal with that? Yeah. Um, I probably drank too much alcohol. Um, I remember we were in the middle of this Bible study and I like sort of compulsively was reading the, doing the Bible study, almost like looking for like answers from God of why. And I do think I have that book where I wrote everything down. I have not looked at it, but I, I felt like I was getting answers of things that were outside of my control. Um, and again, back to humbling. I think this was the big realization. I am not God. Like I am not in charge of the planet. Like I can throw my human helper side in as, as I see, but I, um, I think I needed to put perspective on it and faith I think really played a big role in that. Um, her, my friend's mom is also a person of great faith and we stayed in, have stayed in touch and sort of supported each other through the process. 
Um, and I actually, so one of, and one of, um, my child's babysitter, Sylvia Salazar is a pastor at a Spanish church. And she initially, as soon as this all happened, I had a couple of friends come over and we sat on my back little porch area. Um, the police were still over at the house, you know, I mean, just figuring things out and taking care of what they needed to work out. But, um, and I was, I, I was just so distraught that somehow I had done this because I had told her change the locks. Um, and, and just not knowing how dangerous this person was. And, um, my, my friend Sylvia raised her hands and said, guilt is not from God. And I mean, the vehemence with which, what she said it just like, I feel like something switched in me and I just like made a point to reject that part of it you know, reject the guilt part of it. Like that the wasn't... conscious decision to say it's not my fault. Yes. And that, and that by the, by the way is true. Yes. That's a true thing. Like, yes. Being, being spiritual is a huge, also part of this podcast. I talk about it a lot. Um, Like my God, our God, whoever's God does not want us to go through this pain. Like I always think of that Whenever I've gone through things that are hard in life, I think of that poem, Foot, Footprints in the Sand. I know I, everyone has it like growing up, like everyone's mom, like had it in on a poster hung in the bathroom. All right? the bookmarks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I love, I love that story because it's so true. It's like he, he, she would never want us to endure this pain that we have to go through as people, but it's part of life. And some people, I believe when you come to this planet, like you choose like the life that you're, you're in the body you're going into. Yes. And some people just, I mean, who would choose to go through that, but think of all the lessons that it's taught you and maybe it's gotten you closer to God. For sure. For sure. And even my friend's life, like she always wanted her life to be used by God and prayed for that. And I mean, the amount of attention for organ donation, for domestic violence, for, you know, safety around that. One of the things I've learned that I did not know, which I try to tell everyone is that once you decide to break up with someone who has violent tendencies, the first two weeks are the most dangerous in terms of killing the person. And, um, I just think I didn't, I just didn't understand the, the severity of that, that you really have to take that seriously. And I feel like I can kind of be a Debbie Downer sometimes, like when people are like, oh, I met somebody online. Ooh. And I'm like, well, let me tell you a little story real quick, you know, and I, I hate to be like, that's not every story, but it's something to keep in mind that like, there are people out there that are not safe. It's, it's more typical then it's more, it occurs more than people sadly would ever imagine, you yeah. know? Um, I think I did an Insta story the other day where I talk about some of the latest statistics on domestic violence. And one of them is um, if you are in a relationship and the person has a gun in the house um, and you're in a, in a uh, abusive relationship, you're 500 times more likely to get killed by the weapon 
Yes. So that is like a, one of the latest statistics. And, you know, I'm not, again, you know, you live in Texas, I live in California. Hello, like totally different places. But I do believe like, you know, not to get politics involved, but, you know, you people should have the right to carry guns if that's what they want. But there needs there needs to be mental health background checks. And I mean, with this guy that you're talking about, we'll call him, you know, Mr. It, whatever. He, he could have been stopped, you know? And a lot of times I think, you know, you talked about that you felt strange about him. You had weird feelings and you didn't want to address those. I think a lot of times, you know, in my last episode, Selena talked about the same thing. She's like, I, there was something off. Mm-hmm. And I think as, as people, we need to like really go with our guts when we think that somebody's off. Yes. The other thing I will say that I also try to put out in the world to people is that I think it's very embarrassing to people when they get caught up kind of in a whirlwind romance and then they realize it's not safe. It's embarrassing. And I think that if you can be a person in someone's life that just continues to say like, I'm glad it's going so well, if you ever need to talk to me or if anything ever changes, or if you ever, you know, I'm always here. Like I just kind of, because I think it's really hard for people to admit once they see that they've made a mistake and that's part of the secrecy. And like, you know, a lot of times abusive people will try to isolate people from others. And so it's, it's that isolation and that embarrassment that keeps people from getting the support to get the help they need or to, to make a plan to escape, whatever it is. So I, I try to just, you know, if I, if I can just put out there, like I could be a person that you could call if you realized, oh shoot, this is not what I thought it was. Um, I think that's an important role for people to play. Even if somebody doesn't want to say something right away, okay, I'm here. If you ever change your mind or whatever. I love hearing that too, because I think as a society, we put so much pressure on people to be like in relationships and get married. And like, if you go through a divorce, you need to meet someone and get married immediately. Or if you're a widower, you know, or a widow, you need to like, people don't want to be alone. And a lot of times I think they just settle. And like you're saying, I've, can talk about this. Cause it, I went through it with my own mother, you know, she had met my stepfather and he was a dirty John and all the friends were like my dad's best friends. People were like, stay away from him. He's bad news. And my mom, I think had so much pride and, you know, she didn't, she didn't want to admit that she had maybe made a mistake and married the wrong person and knew what a bad person he was. And she just didn't want to admit it. Mm -hmm. And so I think what you're saying about seeing the red flags and coming at it from an angle of, you know, attacking the person, like you're with the wrong person, this, this, and this, they did this, this, and this, you say, I'm here. Like I'm here when you want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's amazing that you go about it that way. Yeah. And I also think just thinking about my friend and other people that I now understand is a lot of times the media portrays abused people, abused women as not smart, 
as poor as, you know, it's, it's not a pretty image that we typically see. And I think that we need to understand that this happens to smart, beautiful, funny people who have lots of friends who are successful. It, it's not just for that person who just is a mess already. You know, I think that, um, you know, it helps us understand that, that no one is really protected from that. And I think I didn't really know that. I thought that like, if you're smart, you can kind of know when you see it coming. But I think that people who are manipulative know how to play. We all have weaknesses, know how to play off of people's insecurities or people's weaknesses and do it masterfully, you know, and then people look back and think, well, how did this happen to me? You know? And I think that we all make mistakes. And I think that if we can be like, like I said, more ready for people to say, Hey, I think I messed up. Okay. Let's, what, what do we do next? Don't you think too, that, um, it's just like going back to the pride thing. I mean, being a therapist yourself, people don't want to admit, you know, that they're in therapy or they need help. Or, I mean, I just think it's part of maybe even our culture, you know, yes. as Americans, like we're, we're accept, we're expected to be a certain way and lead a certain life. And, you know, even coming out, I can't tell you how many people reach out to me and I'm sure to you, um, about your podcast saying I listened and I decided that I was going to talk about my own trauma in life and it's okay to talk about it rather than push it down. I'm sure that you get that a lot as well from guests that listen. I do. And I think even with my therapy clients, one of the things I see is it's hard to feel close to other people if you're not honest with your own stuff. So if you're trying to build a marriage or build a relationship with someone else, if you haven't looked at what happened to you and what and be honest about your own past, it's hard to feel close to people because you're kind of living separate, if that makes sense. Um, you're not being your, like your genuine human self. Yeah. Cause it's hard to feel uh, close to someone that you don't know. So if you don't, if you're not saying who you really are and what has, you've experienced. Do you mind telling me about your friend? Do you believe in signs? I mean, I know you were good friends. Do you ever, do you, I ask this like pretty much every podcast because I'm I all about I was waiting signs. for it. <laughs> I have a really good one. Okay. Um, let me hear it. So this is like a whole nother episode. So, um, no, not really. So in that moment, when I was sitting on my back porch, I, I am not someone who typically believes in signs, but I was feeling so horrible. And when, when I knew that she had been shot but I hadn't found out what happened yet. I had gone into my room and I was praying this prayer of like, cover her with your feathers. It's like something from the Bible, cover her with your feathers. I had just gotten this little like printout in a frame. And so I'm like, I'll pray that. And it was like, cover her with your feathers. Your strength is her shield and her armor, something like that. And, um, but it was about feathers. And then I found out that she had died or that it, she wasn't going to make it. And, um, I went to the back porch and I, this is before the friends came over and, um, 
I was just sitting there, like just in kind of in complete shock. And I was like, God, you have to give me a sign that she's okay. You have to give me a sign that she's okay. And I just like closed my eyes and I opened my eyes and a teeny tiny feather was just falling from the sky. I I mean, it is, I know, I know. And I just, I mean, and I was telling this story to some friends. That just gave me the chills. It's crazy. And then I had another circumstance where, so I actually helped start um, a, a nonprofit that helps educate kids about healthy relationships. It's called Project Brave. Oh, that's and amazing. And logo is a feather. I have feathers on my business cards now. And I mean, I was never a feather person, but it's just like, it was there. And, um, but I had gone back to church after the, all of this happened and it was just kind of strange because the pastor had spoken about my friend and what happened to her and the importance of community. And it was just this weird, like he's talking about her, but does he even really know her? It was just a weird circumstance. So we go to have lunch afterwards and I look into the reflection of the car and I'm like, something is in my head. A giant feather was sticking out of my head, like out of my ponytail, like it somehow it had gotten lodged in there. And then just like two weeks ago, I was on a walk with somebody who I hadn't seen for a long time, telling them about what happened to my friend. And just in the middle of the path, there's this giant feather. And it's just, I don't know. It's just a crazy God thing. I have. I know. I think that that's like, if you ever have doubts (laughs) that there's a God, like that kind of stuff can't just happen. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the symbol, I think that it, it meant a lot to me. It still means a lot to me now, but I think I needed something concrete like that to just hold on to somehow. Um, and I think that was what was offered to me. I, I think that's amazing. And I've never heard the feather before. I'm, and I love to pivot a little bit. I love that you have actually, I didn't know about your foundation. So yeah, it's Can a nonprofit maybe- that I helped um, start with some of the other neighbors that were also friends with my friend. And um, we educate kids about healthy relationships, kind of like what we've talked about, looking for red flags, how to be a good friend, how to help others. Um, we have a series of kids books that we've curated. They're not written by us, but they're collected to help kids understand. And then questions inside that we distribute to area schools. Um, and we've had, uh, community speakers on different topics related to kids kind of knowing some of these skills and when to speak up, how to set boundaries with other people, um, how to know when to say, no, this is not a healthy relationship, um, how to get help. Um, so that has, that has been, I think a part of my healing process also feeling like working on something bigger than ourselves in the process. And I know that that's true for the other people involved with project brave because the people involved are, we're also very close with her. Um, so way yeah. to, way to turn around the trauma and the event and turn it into something good. Because I really do think that this is a, such a common thing. You know, I say this a lot. You look at people from the outside, right? And you think, wow, like they're so pretty or they have like the biggest house in town and they have like their husband looks great. And, you know, he's super funny and 
you know, they have everything like materialistic, you know, but then you never know what people are actually going through. So sometimes you brought this up in the beginning. I know that if, I mean, I'm super sensitive. It's something I'm working on a lot, <laughs> but if, if I listen to this other podcast, it's about highly sensitive people. She says, sensitivity is your superpower. Really? Yes. What is on, is that one of your guests on your podcast? Yes. But she has her own, um, podcast called unapologetically sensitive. Oh, I've heard of that one. Okay. Yeah. She's great. Maybe I heard I about it from you. It kind of, it, just to tell you, sometimes your sensitivity is your superpower. You just have to manage your superpower. Yeah. But my sensitivity has brought me a lot of problems in my life. I'll say that, but, um, you know, sometimes if you're walking down the street and you're, you know, you're grabbing coffee or something and you go to say hi to somebody and they don't say hi back. That's like something that I'll take with me for the rest of the day. And I, you really have to think about it and remind yourself that you just like, maybe they, you don't know what they're going through, you know? Um, where, where do you think you are in your stages of dealing with this? I mean, the fact that, you know, you're able to go like to how long, not to go backwards, but how long did you take off doing therapy after that happened and go back in? Cause I think you told me you took um, a break. Yeah. Well, it's been five years. So, and I only started doing therapy again this past year. So four years. Okay. Do you think that that's like this whole event is what made you, you said in the beginning, kind of like go in the direction of becoming like becoming a podcaster and. Yeah. I mean, I, I do. And I think that I, yeah, because I think that there's so much that goes on behind closed doors and that this is a medium that's really can provide information to people who don't necessarily have access. And even me, I had gotten a couple of degrees in psychology and still didn't know how dangerous or that, you know, two weeks after you break up with someone is the most dangerous time. I didn't know that. Um, and I just think it's a great way to put resources out for people and help people not feel so alone in the things that they go through. Cause I think that's the, the hardest part is not just the, the events that sometimes happen to people, but just feeling like I'm the only one, you know, yeah. knowing that there's a community of support can make all the difference. Do you think that, um, that, like, what do you say about like a lot of times people like carry this trauma with them? I know that I've started doing Reiki <laughs> and I love it. Like it's crazy how powerful it is. And, um, but it really has kind of helped me release some of like that trauma in life. So I would highly recommend it to people to try it at least. What would you say to people that are holding on to trauma and too afraid to talk about it. So I would say that makes sense because I didn't want to either and be patient with yourself. And when you're ready, there's help waiting for you because I don't think that anyone can feel pushed into healing trauma. That's just like another trauma. If somebody's pushing you to change or to do something different or to, okay, now's the time it, it has to come from within. And I think that there is help. There's all different kinds of 
therapies. And if there's a therapist you don't really love, get a different therapist, try something different, try Reiki, try EMDR, try yoga, you know, that there's just different ways to process it. And, um, it's not a one size fits all type of thing, but I think the hardest part is the first step just because, and then once you do that, I think it gets easier over time and you wonder why didn't I do this before? Yeah. Are you taking like how, like, as far as your therapy business is going, do you, are you zooming, taking zoom clients right now? Or are you doing everything? Like, how is that going for you? It's going well. I'm doing zoom clients. I'm licensed in the state of Texas. So I see people in Texas. Can you give your, can I sound like I'm like miss hipster right now? Can you give your Instagram handle? So Uh, (laughs) in case somebody wants to reach out to you. Yes. Everything is family brain podcast for my podcast and family brain podcast for my TikTok. Although I've been a little delinquent on my TikToks. I, I kind of got um, I'm really impressed by your TikToks. <laughs> my kids made me delete like, like they're really good. My kids made me delete one of them. They said it was way too embarrassing. So no, I reached out to Megan because she started doing it because we like we're trying to promote our podcast. So I'm like, Megan, how, what is this new hip thing called TikTok? <laughs> like, how do you do it? And then I <laughs> I tried to figure out how to do it. And I got a message and it was like, you have hit your limit for like TikToks in a day. Like, like there was like an alert. <laughs> just get posting stuff because I didn't understand it. Yeah. So, but it's, it's so fun. embarrassing. I, mean, I think that in all the humbling of going through difficult things, it's humbling, but then it also makes you realize it's not that serious, right? Mm-hmm. Like doing a TikTok. That's not like, it's okay to look a little silly and not know what you're doing. It's okay. You know, and, and I think stop judging everybody, like get over it. You know, right. like I hate like our, our, country has just become so judgmental and go like, I've said this before, but like, go get therapy. Like, don't make fun of somebody because like I, in my own personal experience, that girl made fun of me for needing therapy. I'm like, don't, don't do that. It's therapy. Like I say, every podcast saved my life. And, um, I just really appreciate you sharing this story. I love your signs. I'm so grateful to know you. Um, and I'm also like kind of, re- re- I think it's really cool that we've reconnected after all these years. I and, so. and I just, I mean, I think you're an amazing person and you're funny and you've taught me a lot. And I'm really grateful that you've shared this story with myself and my audience today. And I hope that people understand, sorry, like upset about this part, but people understand it's never okay to be in a situation with somebody that is not treating you well. And whatever you do, it's okay to say you need help and that you want to get out and don't let your pride get in the way. So I think that you would agree with me on that. I would. And there's the national domestic violence hotline. If anybody ever needs support in making a plan. Um, there's resources out there and you just have to access them. Thanks so much for listening to this hundredth episode of the family brain podcast. I hope you continue to listen. I'm going to keep having great guests on and sharing different resources and different stories, but thank you so much for 
being with me on this journey. And if you want to learn more about the Family Brain Podcast, you can check out social media. It's the Family Brain Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And I started a TikTok channel, which is greatly embarrassing to my children. Um, But thank you so much for following me in this journey. And if you would be so inclined, I would love it if my 100th anniversary gift would be a review or a rating on iTunes. It helps people find the show and helps share all these resources. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.